you watch cartoons on Saturday morning? Okay, all right. Okay, so, so you remember the cartoons when they would ever be uh, going along and, uh, you know, somebody gets hurt or something like that, although they never really got hurt in the Bugs Bunny cartoons and all that. You, you ever try to figure that out? Roadrunner runs, you know, and Wally e. Coyote falls off a cliff and, like, two seconds later, he's now setting up some, you know, Acme Dynamite somewhere to, you know, blow him up. But you may, if, if something did happen, they, they would have this time where it's like it would look at the screen. It was the first attempt at 3D, although it really wasn't 3D. And you go, yeah. is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> you know? All right, but today we're going to say, is there a doctor in the house? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read this. Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Yes. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're going to talk three things about this idea of him talking about a physician doesn't come for those who are well. We're going to talk about the location of a physician, the mission of a physician, and then the lack of a physician. So let's talk about location. Jesus put himself in position where that people in need could find him and come in contact with him. Matthew was the one that, that Jesus was calling and was at his house here in, in this passage. And so um, here's all of these people, these tax collectors, and that, that was used, you guys know that was used so much in the New Testament because everybody hated tax collectors. They didn't like them. I know that you actually love the IRS yourself. Um, yeah, so see, you have no identification, you know, with, and, and no one I like somebody here today works for the IRS. And y'all just all laughed and went, oh, yeah, we don't like. And they're going, man, you know, loving church this is. Um, Jesus, they would use this to indicate that, uh, that, that a dislike, people that they considered to be sinners, people that they considered to be lower than or less than everybody else, uh, mainly because anything where that people were collecting these taxes that went to Rome, they had a strong dislike for. It was occupation. It was oppression. It was, it was the thing that were holding them back as a society. You've come in and you've tried to oppress us. And so these tax collectors, they're your local representative that let us see you. And not only did they take the taxes, but they tended to take more than what was there. So they would, they would take and abuse it and take for themselves. And so when the religious people of the day look and they see Jesus, who they already have enough issues with, and he is over at somebody's house having dinner, and it's sinners and people that abuse us and, and take more money than us, and they represent an oppressive force. They said... They didn't have enough, let's, let's just be honest, we're pretty blind. They didn't have enough guts to go to him because, I mean, he's there. So why do you have to go ask the disciples and say, hey, why does your, your teacher eat with sinners? I mean, just walk, walk another few steps over here and just ask Jesus. Yeah. Just ask him. Hey, why are you hanging out with all these sinners and eating with these folks? There's an underlying thing that's almost not said there. 
And why aren't you hanging out with us? Because we're a lot better than what they are. We're the religious people. Why aren't you hanging out with us? And so when Jesus hears it, then Jesus responds. And Jesus says, hey, I'm in this position because I'm putting myself in a place where the people that need me can come in contact with me. Yes. Now, you've got to keep in, in, in your mind during this whole message that Jesus went back to the Father. All right. So Jesus is not here at this moment in, in the physical sense in order to go have dinner and, and hang out and interact with sinners and with tax collectors. So who could that possibly be that he might be expecting to do what he did but even greater than? Who could that be? Come on. That's, that's, a, that's a feedback moment. There you go. Yeah. That, that, that could be us, right? Right. Y'all didn't seem very excited about that being. Because you're like, man, I'm afraid if I go ahead and own up now, you're going to come back and get me with something later in this deal and go, hey, y'all agreed with it earlier. Well, whether you agree or not, it's kind of like saying I don't believe in God. Well, it doesn't change the fact that he exists. I mean, it's still there. Yes. So we're to be his hands and feet. Okay? And, and so, if we're going to follow the example of the leader, if we're going to follow, disciples are those who follow after and do the things that a teacher did. Yes. All right? So, if the reality is that Jesus was doing this and putting himself in a position where people in need could find him and come in contact with him, then there's a challenge for us to do it. But this wasn't the only place that it happened. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. Why is he going into a house of somebody <laughs> who's a Pharisee? Sinner. Come on. I mean, let's, let's just be honest about how we act about this stuff. Man, how come they're always hanging out with those people and, and interacting with them and well, I'm not going to beat it to death too early in this message. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Come on. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's just a real problem with him having dinner with people. I, I find another interesting thing in this, because we're going to have one more example of this, but it's very interesting that, that Jesus found social situations to be able to sit down and interact with people. He found opportunity to go, and, he, and he, for some reason he tended to do so over a meal. We know that in their culture that when you broke bread together, when you shared a meal together, it was an indication of friendship. It was an, an indication of some relationship. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to show up, as, as Jeannie and I were actually talking yesterday, I'm going to show up and I'm just beating on the door and going, hey, you need to turn and burn. You know? You know? Get right or get left. You know, I, they, well, those were great. They used to have bumper stickers. If you got one on your car, take it off. Get rid of it. It don't need to be there. You know, get set free today. We will, we will go out and lay hands on your car as you remove that bumper sticker. I promise. You know, it's kind of like I'm sorry if anybody else has got this. I know I'm going to get in trouble if I do this kind of stuff. I get in trouble. If you got a tag on your car, it says God's my co-pilot. Hey, put him in the driver's seat. Woo! I just easy, easy there, easy. <laughs> Put him, put him in the driver's seat. But, but God... <laughs> Come on. Jesus kept tending to 
find people. You know what? One of the things that, that we ought to learn, I think, from Jesus is that sometimes when you stop and, and whether it's having a meal or you're just hanging out with somebody and you relax and you build relationship and you have a conversation. Interestingly enough, for people to say that, oh, it's hard to get people to, they don't want to hear the gospel, they don't want to hear this. No, the truth is they don't want to hear you. That's right. Well. So what? You're telling me I'm not no, they don't want to hear your religious junk. Come on. Mm. They want to hear the gospel. The the tax collectors, I mean, look at what he said, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Christ to hear him. Why? Because it was a message that was different. It was a message that was something that was completely separated from what they were used to hearing. It was about God wants to have a relationship with you, not God wants to just have submission out of you. God wants to have a, you know, yes, there's obedience and there's all these things, but God wants a relationship with you. Yes. This was totally different to them. They were used to, to, to the tradition. They were used to going through the, the steps and going through the motions. If I do A and I do B and I do C, then God has to forgive me. Then God has to do these things. And here is this guy saying, I'm the son of God, and I came here because my dad wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to take and make you part of our family, and for you to become joint heirs with me, the son of God, and for him to be your father as well. Relationship. So he reached out to people that said, man, nobody wants to have a relationship with us. Tax collectors, nobody wanted to be friends with them. Jesus ended up being called the friend of sinners. Why? Because of this stuff. Because he was always hanging out with these folks. He was, why? Because he said, those that are well don't have need of a physician. Luke chapter 19. Luke seemed to document most of this stuff. We know this one. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Oh, here's a guy who is receiving Christ, saying, I want to come to your house. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's going to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. I, I want you to get the mental picture of, of what's going on. You have Jesus who sees people in need, who sees people that need to hear his message, that he wants to build a relationship with, and you have religious people who know the message, they've studied the scriptures, they, they're missing out on it, they're blinded to the coming of Christ, but they shouldn't be. You know, the stone that the builders rejected, he came to his own people, but they wouldn't receive him, they rejected. But they should know because they have been exposed to the truth, at least in Scripture. And here, Jesus stands up, and we see him also in Luke, where he stands up and he quotes out of Isaiah when he reads from the scroll and says, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Then, he, then he, he says, today this has been complete. It's been accomplished in your sight. And then he sits down. Right? He's told them. He's given them all the signs. I'm the guy. I'm here. I've brought relationship. you a God with us. And the only thing that the religious group over here keeps doing is going, can you believe this? There he is hanging out with sinners again. 
There he is going to eat with them. Here's a guy that's up in a tree. Remember, you know, when I was a kid, we used to sing that song, you know, about we little Zachies, you know, up before we wanted to the Lord to see. And da, 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 da. I don't remember the words, you know. Up in a tree, you know, tree, see, you know, all that. <laughs> Ronnie, you laughing, but I could get you to come sing it. No. <laughs> see, she knew it right there. And a wee little man was there. There you go. See, it's getting back. I remember it now. You know, he guy in a tree, Jesus walks up and says, hey, I want to come to your house. I think he goes, wow. Going to come down. Everybody's going, I can't believe he's going to eat with him. He's over here with Matthew calling him. And, and all these people that need Christ are flocking to him. Come on, man. They're showing up. And they're, they're so blinded. It'd be like me trying to drive if I did that right there. Because y'all are all blur. <laughs> right now. I mean, the front row is even a blur. It's, you know... Uh, it, it, it's just—it's kind of like one of those weird, you know, new age artistic things going on right now. Y'all are just kind of like, you know, swirly. Picasso has entered my head. <laughs> when when you take it, and it's like their vision was blinded. They couldn't see that here are people coming to Christ. They're just hung up with these people aren't religious like us. Right. These people don't do the same religious things that we do. You're right. They're not hung up on religion. They're just hung up on, I know I need something, and this guy has a message. Mm. Jesus understood that you cannot help someone with whom you refuse to come into contact. You cannot. We could go back to the story of the Good Samaritan. And how can you how can you be walking past and you see someone lying over here in the ditch that is in desperate need, but you're so focused on your other stuff and blinded to the cause of Christ that you won't help someone because you don't want to come into contact with them? Oh, I don't know. Probably the same way that people all over our cities are in desperate need of Christ, but they're too dirty for us to come in contact with. They don't act like us. They don't talk like us. They may say some words that we don't think we ought to use. They may act some ways. They may dress some ways that we don't think. And yet we sit around and don't understand uh -oh. The reality of the, the Word of God says, And such were some of you, but you have been washed. You have been justified. You... Come on, we look in the Scripture and we get critical of what is happening in the Scripture. But yet we can look at it and ignore the very common things that we have going on in our own churches, in our own lives. What's the mission of the physician? The mission of a physician is to bring both healing and restoration as well as ongoing wellness. You can't expect people to do things that are of a wellness nature when they aren't even healed and restored yet. Come on. You know, you're over here and a guy is bleeding out and you're going, did you take your vitamin today? All <laughs> 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 right, you know. Hey, when he got up this morning, did you drink some green tea? You know, because that stuff's supposed to cleanse your colon. <laughs> you know? And, and the guy's literally, literally sitting here bleeding out. But we've got to have enough perspective to understand that the mission has to be healing and restoration and then ongoing wellness. Luke again in chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which 
was lost. Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 and 13 says this. What do you think? Now, this, this messes with us religiously, so you just hang in here. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Here's the thing. God has this great plan about wanting to have disciples. God has this great plan about wanting people to follow him. It's for our good. It's not because he needs something or because that he has some thing where, uh, you know, he's got an ego problem. Uh, we really struggle with that, by the way. We really struggle with, with God being able to, um, to expect obedience and expect us to follow him because in our way of thinking, if we think about mankind, then that's, hey, that's feeding ego, that's feeding your pride, whatever. But yet we have God who is perfect. And that which is perfect, that which has no flaw, is deserving of praise. It is deserving of adoration. It is deserving of us following after it. It's not an ego thing that says I'm better than or I think I'm better than but I'm proud just like you are. It is perfection and therefore should be something that we look to and aspire to. So he wants people to become his disciples because it changes our lives. It shapes us more like His Son Christ. It aligns us more because God desires to do great things in our lives. But more importantly, God desires to do great things in our lives that bring glory to His name because He is worthy. Okay? It's not about that, well, God wants to bless you just because you follow Him. We get hung up on the wrong stuff and somebody, you know, hey, we need to pray about God blessing you. Look, if, if God blessing you in an area of life brings the most glory, then, then I believe that God will bless you. If God allowing you to be faithful through the midst of something, you know, like Job was, then will bring glory to His name, then God will allow that which focuses on Him because the focus is not on you got saved and so God's wanting to do everything for you. The focus is on that God enters into relationship with you, but He still remains holy. He still remains a focus of our lives. He still remains the focus of the entire universe and those things beyond that. But, He says that He will rejoice more over the one that comes to Him than over the ninety and nine that stayed. Come on. Now, Again, this bothers us from a religious standpoint if we start thinking about it because we're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're kind of like the story of the prodigal son and we're the older brother sometimes. We're going, hang on a minute. I've been over here serving the church for 25 years. <laughs> Y'all know you, get, you know you get that time when people start doing that. I've been in the way. Yes, you have. You have. That's right. You know. Okay, moving on past that one. <laughs> but, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years as if you should get a participation award or something. I mean, you know, and this person gotten saved and everybody's all excited and they're not. You sound like the older brother in the prodigal son. Come on, bro. I've been here faithful to you all these years, Dad. And you're not over here 
killing the fatted calf for me and throwing a big party. So you got another problem with, with God illustrating somebody having dinner again. Uh-huh. See? See? Y'all need to be hanging out having dinner with each other more. I'm just telling you. He says, I, why? Why are you? And what does the dad do? The dad sets this same illustration. The dad says, look, I know. And in the future, all that I have is yours. But this son was dead to me. And, and the one that was dead has now been brought back to life. It's like he was gone. I, I know you're here, and, and I'm going to bless you in the long run. You're going to receive, and you're going to get benefit. I, I, that's all going to happen. But this one, I, could, I didn't even have an opportunity to bless him. I didn't have an opportunity to have a relationship with him because it was as if he was dead. The mission of the physician, it stays focused. It stays focused on establishing and maintaining the health of those in his care. Think about that, that story of the, of the hundred sheep and the nine. It says, hey, I, I have my eyes on that I'm supposed to have a hundred sheep. But one of these sheep has gone off. Ah. Uh. For a physician to do this, there's several things that have to happen. Number one, the physician has to stay in contact with the sheep. <laughs> the reverse has to be true as well. My wife used to get on me uh, all the time uh, when we first got married. I mean, we had, to, we had insurance and all that stuff, and I'd be like, <coughs> I'm going to tough it out. <laughs> Y'all know? She'd be like, you need to go to the doctor. You sound terrible. Now, just one more day. One more day. You know, sound like I'm hacking a lung up. I mean, like, it's just going, in a minute, it's going to be here on the table. And, and oh, that was bad, wasn't it? That was rough. I mean, y'all know, right, when you cough like that, though, and, and it, everybody in the place is like, oh, my word. And then you go out in public, and you, uh, anyway. But she's, like, she's like, I don't understand. We got insurance. Why don't you go to the doctor? No, no, no. I, I'll make it. The physician can be there and can be available to stay in contact with you in order to help maintain your health, but if you refuse to go to the doctor. Paul told us about this one point. He said, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. It, but it, it's a process of, that if you don't want to go. Come on. Well, wait a minute, though. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of this great physician then. Uh -oh. We're supposed to be representative of this. You know why some people don't want to go to the doctor? Because they hate the doctor's bedside manner. Amen. You go to the doctor, man, when he, when he gives you a shot, you, you need the shot. Well, you know, the nurse gives you the shot now. There's some, you know, when I, I go to CARES, uh, that's where I sneak in because they always, you know, who's your primary physician? I say, I guess y'all are because it's the only place I, you know. And, and you know, and I always tell them. I, I always tell them all the time. They'll say, they'll say well, uh, you know, we're going to give you a shot. And I say, look, you need to go ahead and know I hate needles. And they're like, please sit down, sir. And, uh, you know, you need to sit down. I'm going, no, no, no. I, I don't like pass out with needles. I just don't like them. I, I, you know. All you ladies that were brave enough to have your ears pierced and all that, God bless you because I'm going, I got enough holes in my body. I, I, don't, I don't need any extra ones. And if you got like multiple ones, hey, you're just a glutton for punishment. That's all I know. Because I, I, I'm like, I can't do it. I don't. So, so I don't watch them. 
And when, when they had to give me that sight in my shoulder, and, and, they, and they walked in, and I told y'all, you know, they had the needle that was like this long because they were going in the center. And then she goes, it came back, oh, I got the wrong needle. And I, I like had hope for a moment, you know. <laughs> and then she laid it down, and I was like, no! I, literally, I had that reaction right there. I was, no! She said, what? I said, I mean, she said, <laughs> I didn't know what she was saying. I said, that's bigger! That's bigger! She said, yeah, the other one, you got a thick shoulder. The other one wasn't going to make it. And it was like, and y'all know what it is in your eyes. You ever seen those shake straws? You know, them big ones? That's what I saw. I mean, I saw this thing and I'm going, you are sticking one of them big fat kindergarten pencils in my eye. <laughs> I was not excited. Hey, look, remember, think back to when you were in sin. You know, it really wasn't exciting at a certain point when you realized God's going to change my life. Especially if you came to realize, you know, this is going to change some friendships I have. This is going to change some activities that I'm doing. This is going to mean my lifestyle has to change. This may mean my finances have to change. I'm not talking about you've got to start giving to the church. I'm talking about you've been spending your money on, on stuff and all of a sudden you're going to have to like help other people. And, and, I, and you looked at that stuff... You know what? Spiritually, it kind of was like you were going, man, they're fixing to stick that shake straw into my spiritual arm. It, it wasn't necessarily exciting. Now, if the kind of church that you came into that, or the kind of Christian people that you were exposed to that one, were people that were bad physicians, they had bad bedside manner, and they're going, hey, just worry. suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> you know? And boom, just hit you up. Bert and I had to go get all these shots for going to Uganda. And, and knowing already in this message that you've already heard, I, I don't like needles. And the lady's like, hey, we're going to give you one. And people tell us that it's kind of like getting stung by a wasp. And I'm going, what on earth? And she's like, but the other one, it, it hurts. It'll, it'll make you sore. And I'm going, Okay, I'm committed to serving God, going to Uganda, so I will sacrifice and let you give me these shots. You know, wow. First world problems, right? And, and then she goes, oh, but by the way, one of them's got to go in the back of your arm. And I'm going, oh, come on. I mean, really? You're going to shoot me in the back of the arm? She said, have you had anything to eat today? I said, no, no, I was fasting today. She's like, really? I said, no, I promise I'm not kidding. See, she had just met me and she already had figured this deal out. And I said, no, she said, sit down, sir. <laughs> comes back with some crackers and a thing of water. Eat this before we give you these shots. Another nurse comes by. She goes, can you believe he hadn't eaten anything today? I'm going, I, I want to invoke HIPAA. You know, you need to keep my stuff secret because I know that's the law. It's got to be. Sometimes I think we show up to God to come in contact with a physician and we're going, okay, God, I will make great sacrifice to let you do something in my life. And, and you know what? When we were in sin, that's what it was like. So, so bedside manner as a physician matters. When he works at a, at a dental office, and man, you know, dentists, they get the worst rap out of all that stuff, right? And if people are hard on it, they, oh, they drilling before that, that, my shot kicked in. All, so people got all these horror stories about dentists, you know, and most, most of the time it's really not the case. 
You know, but somebody had a bad experience. <laughs> that happens in church, though, guys. Yeah, come on. The message of the gospel, the shot, the cure, whatever it was that needed to happen, it wasn't harsh, but the bedside manner of the hands and feet of the physician turned out to be they were rough, they were hard on people, they weren't, gent- they, they weren't caring and compassionate. Oh, but, but we're promoting the message. Well, yeah. Well, they can drill out a, a cavity in your tooth one way or they can do it a different way, and I guarantee there's one of them you don't want. <laughs> But it's still, yeah, they were trying to do the same thing, but the ma- yeah. the physician has to have diagnostic tools. They've got to be able to, look, guys, as we go out in this world and we represent the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, you've got to use your eyes and your ears and less of your mouth. Come on now. Yes. You've got to listen to what people are saying. You've got to look for what is going on around us because it opens up the opportunity for us to serve. Yes. It opens up the opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Christ. Yes. You're going to see a need and you can meet a need. You're going to hear a need and you can pass it along to someone else and you can involve other people. But if we're not willing to use the diagnostic tools that we have, seeing, listening, and probably even more importantly, spending time in prayer and in relationship with God. Yes. God, make me sensitive to seeing and hearing. God, improve my faculties spiritually where that you can use me as your hands and feet to minister healing to a world that is full of the disease of sin that is killing it. The physician has to stay prepared to care for the sheep. It'd be great. You can stay in contact. You can have some diagnostic tools, but what if you're not prepared? You need to know the Word. Come on. You need to read the Word. You need to hide the Word in your heart so that when something happens, you're able to interject some healing that can come through the Word of God by knowing what God said. And being able to... I tell you all the time, it's one thing to be able to offer advice and all of this stuff. You know, man, advice is like feet. Everybody's got them. They all stink, you know. But when you can go, hey, look, I don't know about, I don't know about me giving you some personal advice, but, but I know that the Word says this. Mm-hmm. And how God has spoken this. Mm-hmm. What about the lack of a physician, though? The challenge for the Pharisees was that they wanted to avoid the sinner but not the sin. Oh, you need to let that sink in for a minute. You need to let that sink in. They were so focused on the appearance. They just wanted to avoid sinners. That was their whole issue. They weren't recognizing the need of the person. They just kept recognizing he's hanging out with sinners. Why is he eating with sinners? Why is he sitting down with sinners? Why is he going to sinners' house? Why is he... Because they need Jesus. Now, Nathan, are you saying that that you think that people ought to go hang out at bars and all that stuff? No, because the Bible says, don't let your good be evil spoken of. We can set ourselves up and say, well, I'm going to go exactly where the sinners are, and there's a strip club downtown. Blame it on that new church over there. That uh, go on record. Where'd it go? <laughs> lost, lost the mic the whole time. That is not what I was saying. 
Sorry. There you go. But here's the deal. If you're going to constantly avoid people that are sinners, you know, it's where the idea of groupthink begins to happen. The idea of groupthink is when you get a group of people together and there are some people that are a little more influential, they, they have a little more sway on the group and eventually people that don't believe something or don't agree with something will go along with it because the whole group seems to be going along with it so they will. Uh-oh. Look, man, if all you do is hang out with, with the folks sitting in this room that are church folks, we are in trouble yes, sir. as a fellowship. Yes, sir. To flat out, we will be in trouble <laughs> because all we'll do is... <laughs> If all you do is hang out around people just like you all the time, in other words, believers, then groupthink begins to happen. We'll begin to isolate ourselves. We'll build walls and separate ourselves from the rest of the world. We'll, we'll get in that hunker and bunker mentality. We're going to hunker down and, and uh, here in the bunker, and everybody else is going to have to stay outside. And then we'll start to wonder, why are we not winning the lost? Come on, now. Why are we not seeing people reach? Why are we not seeing people's lives change? Why are we not seeing disciples grow and, and be changed? Because we just become like each other and that's it. Mm. And we don't see an outreach and we don't see people being connected to. And yes, it will be difficult. Yes, it will require you to break some areas of pride. Yes, it will require you to change your outlook. Yeah, there may be some people that you're friends with that go, I can't believe you're letting those people come to your house. Number one, if you have too many people in your life that are saying things like those people, you need to fix some of that. But we're having to fix it from the inside because the physician is not just looking for every time you stub your toe to cut your leg off. All right? And that's our challenge in the church world is that it's not that we need to go out here and everybody that's, that's got an issue, or we just need to cut them off from the church world. No, we have to heal. Wow. We need to restore. We need to bring back what was originally there and restore the health that needs to be in the body of Christ where that it becomes a unit. Because here's the thing. The Bible already shows us that we are a body of believers connected together. We've talked about it recently. Some are feet. Some may be, you may be a knee. You may be a big toe. You may be an eye. You, who knows what? But the body that is not together, and the eye can't look and go, man, that toe is just terrible. You know, I, I don't need you, and then I don't need that foot, and I don't need that leg. Because eventually you're going to be on your own. We need the body healed and restored. And the body of Christ being restored says, hey, we need to do like Christ was doing, and we need to start connecting with those who are lost and in need of a physician. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, no, let's go back to this for just a second. But, I, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What, yes. What, what, what are we trying to get to? What did Jesus mean? I want to show you where that actual reference came from in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Many things in the Old Testament we see Christ change, right? All right we see Christ say things like, um, you know, he'll say something like, it's been said to you that if someone does this. At one point he said, you know, it's been said to you that if anyone commits adultery, then all this stuff. He said, but I say to you, 
that if a man looks on a woman, you know, with his eyes to lust out, then it's the same because he's done it in his heart. Yeah. So some things from the Old Testament change in the New Testament. But some things we see that Christ just reaffirms. Hosea, all the way back over here, prophet says that God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus comes up over here in the New Testament and says, hey, you need to go and learn this. Now think about this. The scripture, the only scripture that these guys had available to them was the Old Testament. We, we sometimes forget that. They didn't have the New Testament. New Testament gets written later. So when Jesus is speaking, there's no New Testament. There's only the Old Testament. So Jesus says to them, there is already Scripture that tells you something, but you need to go learn it. Yes. And what you need to learn is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Yes. But, okay, so still, what does that mean? Micah addressed this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I, I noticed something, because I've read that verse I don't know how many times. You know, and there are churches that that's their, that's their, that's their founding, you know, scripture is, this is what God wants us to do, is to, to do justly and to love mercy and, and to walk humbly before God. But I noticed a distinction. I don't know why it just hit me this time. One is focused on after the fact but one is focused on prior to the act. See, one of these was on, okay, look, I'm going to keep just having these problems and all this, but, but I can bring rams as a sacrifice to make up for what I already did. Or what if I had all these 10,000 rivers of oil that I can, I can offer that as a sacrifice to make up for what I already did. I mean, he can go so far as that, do I need to give up my firstborn child? Make up for what I already did. He says, no, God's already said. I'm sorry if there's a Star Wars fan here in the, in the room. <laughs> People, this is the first time here, they're like, man, this, this guy, boy, he ties all kind of crazy stuff in. It's all good. For all the Star Wars fan, Yoda has a great saying that I love. He says, there is no try, only do. I think they pulled it out of Scripture myself. Come on. I, I really do. I, th I think I think you pull it because what he says. Hey, I used to tell our kids when they were growing up, they'd do something wrong and they'd go, "I'm sorry." I mean, he, yeah, I mean, they knew if this get in trouble, so I'm sorry. And it's like, but I said I'm sorry. I'm going, yeah, but you did it four times in a row, you know. And every time I told you, don't do that, and it, boom, I'm sorry. Don't do that again. Boom, I'm sorry. And then finally, you know what? All right, all right. You finish to go timeout, or you finish whatever your your deal was, and then they. But I don't understand. I said I'm sorry, and I used to would tell. I get look, Caleb. He's nodding right now. I would tell him, look, I don't care about you saying you're sorry. Stop doing it. <laughs> Jesus makes this statement. I'm not worried about you coming and saying I'm sorry all the time. I want you to change your life. 
I'm not wanting you to come and want to keep using the process of that I've extended you grace and all that. And, you know, hey, God, I'm sorry. You know, he's going, look, I, it's not about you saying I'm sorry. I want you to stop worrying about the things of how you come and make sacrifice or what you have to do in order to regain approval because I've already given you the, the approval. I've already accepted you in. I've given you the righteousness of Christ. That, I want to get past that. I want to move over to that you start doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly. Then you won't have to keep coming and saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm... He says, you need to change. See, he says, you're hung up on doing the ceremonial stuff. Come on. You're hung up on going through the motions. So go all the way back to Matthew when he's talking to them because remember their issue. Why is your teacher sitting and eating with sinners and tax collectors? And he says, you need to go learn something. You need to go learn that I'm not about the sacrifice. I'm about mercy. I want you to start getting it right where you do things right instead of wanting to go through the motions after the fact. You're hung up on doing the steps and you're missing out on the meaning. So our world is faced with a church organization, the body of Christ universal, that if we're not careful, we're going to be in this situation where that what we're doing is we're going and saying, how dare those folks be over there ministering with all those people that are just so bad. Now I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead. I may only have you here one time, so, so I'm going to go ahead and get it while you're here. Look, somebody's going to have to minister to the gay community. Somebody is going to have to minister to drug addicts. Yes. Somebody is going to have to minister to people that sell themselves. Yes. Somebody is going to have to minister to folks that are strung out, wasted, got nothing going on. Somebody's going to have to do it. Those that are well have no need of a physician. Amen. But those that are sick. So look, it's great that we showed up today. Man, it's awesome because we encourage each other. We equip. We prepare to go do the work of ministry. What's going to happen the other six days? Uh-oh. Not, not, in, not in the pastor's life. Not in people that sing's life. What is going to happen the other six days in your life as the hands and the feet of the physician? Because God is not worried about you having to come and do sacrifice. Come on. What he wants is for you to do justly, yes. to love mercy, and walk humbly before God. Yes. I say it to you guys all the time. God send people across their path yes. that need ministry.
And that ministry may be, it may be of the most simple things. It may be a kind word. Yes. It may be a smile. It may be you making somebody laugh. That yes. It may be that they need a little bit of food. It may mean that they need some help accomplishing something that they can't do on their own. You think they ought to because from your perspective and the things that you have access to, it could be done. But the things that they have access to, it can't be done that easily. It may go all the way to the point. It can range all the way over to the fact that someone absolutely, desperately is needing you to stop your life for a moment in your mad rush to hurry up and get home, to go to this, to go do that, to go, and to stop. Yes. Yes. And see the person in the ditch bleeding. Yes. I love this song by Ron Canoli. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Yeah. Take my hands, Lord, hand my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, and speak through me. If you can use anything, God's not interested in you groveling at his feet. He's wanting you to walk humbly before him. So you can go out these doors today. And kind of like that Saturday morning cartoon, just don't know whether you're going to hear it because it's whether or not your diagnostic tools are on. Somewhere, you're going to cross paths with somebody that if you're watching and you're listening, they're going to turn to the screen like that little cartoon character and they're going to say, is there a doctor in the house? And the question is going to be how you answer. Let's pray.